Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of Gord Sellers' novelette, Sarging Rasmussen, a report by Organic. The award-winning author, Gord Seller, wrote this novelette for the science fiction anthology Shine, an anthology of optimistic SF. The story is primarily a report narrated by the character Organic, a master pickup artist, who has decided to apply his abilities to more important things, like saving the world. Imagine if Barney Stinson from the comedy show How I Met Your Mother suddenly decided to use his almost mystical pickup talents to save the environment. That kind of clues you in on where this story goes. Gord Seller rewrote this story along with some scripted interludes as a radio play. This radio play was originally broadcast to the world at large by the well-known SF podcast Starship Sofa. We present the story here for archival purposes and to make it more widely available to the public to enjoy. The following cast participated in this unique offering. We are proud here at Uvula Audio to have produced the show for Starship Sofa and Uvula Audio listeners. It was directed and produced by J.J. Campanella. The cast included in alphabetical order J.J. Campanella as Organic, Sleazy Salesman Number 2 and Sleazy German Salesman, Lisa Campanella as Sexy Saleswoman, and Jason's old girlfriend, Tina Conley as Cassie, Singh Gupta as Sleazy Salesman number one, Gord Seller as Sleazy Salesman number four, and John Smalley as Jason. The story is being podcast under a Creative Commons license by Uvila Audio. And now, Sergeant Rasmussen, a report by Organic. Okay, Hal. Wake up. Welcome home, Jason. Yeah, thanks. Open Gmail. Wall-sized window. Track my eye. Ah, hey, cool. Select Cassie. Open video mail. Hey, Jason. So you'll never guess what just happened. Oh, I know you were busy, so... I was down at the Green Collective talking with some of the girls there, and guess who I met? Hey Jason, how are you? Got Kochu syndrome yet, you prick? I hope your thing falls off. I'm so glad I ran into her. I don't know what's wrong with you. We've better things to do than waste our time on a jerk like you. Out there the coral reefs are dying, the lumber companies are cutting everything down, and and all you can think about is hooking up. I feel sorry for you. Don't bother me again, Jason. Bye-bye, jerk-off. <sighs> Hal, open up EPUA board. Okay, now. Search, quote, XHB sabotage stalking tips. Huh? What's that sticky? Sergeant Rasmussen? Why is a damn Sarge report stickied? Open up Sarging Rasmussen. Ah, Organic's latest post? Should be good. Okay, play embedded audio. I don't, Hunter screamed, tears trailing down his cheeks, lit by the trendy piezoelectric floor-powered club lights 
pulsing to the fashionable heart attack thump of melee beat techno. I let Bagheera amog me and fuck it all up. I don't got shit. I managed to fight my urge to start calling him by his real name, Wilfred Chan, but I made the mistake of reasoning with him. What? Listen, you do. You got game. Trust me, I've seen your work, Hunter. Ever since you first came to Den Haag, I watched you amog Marco Rexchild and Cobro Park and Elmira into signing that Pacific R.I. Treaty, all in three hours. You even banged that hot little attaché from the IECWP before the committee went into session. Oh, shit, man. You got so much game, you're a legend. Game 1.0, game 2.0. New guys dream of being like you. What are you crying about? A smile almost cracked his face in half as he remembered bonking that secretary. But then reality flooded back, slamming his frown back into place. He'd been amogged, knocked right out of his synthetic alpha male mind frame, reduced to inaudible mumbling. Once again, a low status, never get laid, can't say the world loser. The club noise swallowed his broken little voice. But his words flashed boldly across my contact lenses. What about the reefs? The IPBR display in the corner of my right lens showed his body temp running high, though so was everyone's in that place. But his pulse rate and respiration were all in the red. Then Muggle, Creative Commons, kicked in, blaring terse, blood-red warnings across my contacts. Hostile. Unbalanced. Tox? You can't always trust software to tell you the truth you're trying to ignore hardest. The Muggle, Creative Commons, app was one of the finest tools in the game 2.0 kit. It told you which chicks really just wanted to be left alone, and when a suit had been rubbed the wrong way beyond the point of no broability. For analyzing people you didn't know, possible targets, it was the most kick-ass app around, like a wingman who was never scared to reality slap you upside the neocortex. But Hunter had been my mentor once. I felt a stab of guilt about what I'd have to do to him. My doubts swirled momentarily and my contacts picked that up. My system was monitoring me too and flashed me emphatically. Totally fucking hostile, dude. A moment later came the default addendum built in to urge restraint. Sorry. I embraced my guilt for a second. I figured it kept me human. And then I shoved it aside. Compassion for fuck-ups and flakes is what crippled the green movement so badly that Game 2.0 became necessary. Besides, I've worked too hard to burn off the residuals of my own average, frustrated, environmentalist, crusader mentality. I didn't have time to be the AFEC anymore. There were protocols for handling backslides like this. Listen, man, I said, setting my hand on his shoulder. And then I felt it right through the fine black Italian arachno silk. Hunter was shivering, almost shaking. What the fuck are you on? I asked, snatching his peacocky mirror specs from his face and taking a good look at his surgically Eurasianized eyes. The dilated pupil stared back wetly at me, the left one huge and the right still dilating. Hunter cringed from the sudden brightness. He ignored my question and exhaled slowly brain hemorrhage. It had to be. The pupils. Textbook images flooded back to me from my pre-med bio courses, 
before I'd fled into a pharmacy program. Fuck. For what? A couple of fucking coral reefs that were doomed anyway? Because Diaz and Abril and Rodriguez were playing Let's Compare Dicks with the Asian again? Always with the drama, Hunter was. And now he was probably going to end up brain damaged, if not dead on the spot. We had to get that shit out of his system fast. My winger, Creative Commons, app, had already alerted the other guys. Thank fuck. He stared at me, grunted my name, and then, with a sudden jolt, he slapped himself in the face and started howling. Nothing but vowels and slobber. Nobody had noticed, lucky for us. By then, homeboyostasis and biosphere had shown up on either side of Hunter and looped their arms through his. They hauled him out of the place with all the efficiency of professional bouncers, with me at their side. Get him to a DTC or he's fucked for sure, I hollered once we were in the hallway, away from the pounding beat, wondering if there even was a detox center close enough to save his ass. Maybe it's too late already. If not, when he wakes up, tell him he did his best and buy him some time in a vippy tank, okay? I'm going to go back in and shake close this treaty if it takes both my front teeth and one of my balls. By then, they'd stuffed him into a cab and piled in after him. Sure thing, organic, Biosphere said to me with a nod while homeboyostasis shouted into his cell phone and fumbled with the taxi's emergency medikit. Before the cab had even pulled away, I was back in the hallway, making my way back into the noise, strutting already. If there was one thing that would get me through the next two hours, it was inner game. And thank fuck my inner game was deep as the Mariana Trench and solid as titanium steel, or the sight of Hunter losing his shit would have done me in. Fuck S-closing, I thought to myself. Fuck handshakes. I'm going to T-close, I told myself. I'm going to fucking treaty-close this deal, I repeated, and I took a deep breath as I reached the dance floor. Finally, I caught sight of Gilberto over by the bar, laughing as he talked to a tall, skinny black guy. I didn't quite recognize him, but I was pretty sure he was on some human rights, landmines, homeless children, immunization, and whatever the fuck committee we usually didn't have to game. And Sigrid Rasmussen, a slightly chunky middle-aged blonde, HB6 if I were pressed to rank her sexually because I don't like big girls and because of her age, who is the assistant secretary of the task force for the deacidification of the world's oceans, who was, everyone agreed, playing a little too friendly with the WTO-run Oversight Council and needed to be reminded that whatever profit motive mattered now would mean nothing once the reefs were all toast. The world's reefs. Not the world, just the world's reefs, I told myself. We could always engineer something artificial if we had to, I reassured myself dubiously. You can do this. Then I kicked myself with the three-second rule. Never wait more than three seconds to approach a person or else you'll overthink it. I thought of Mother Earth for a moment and then waded into the pulsating crowd. Not for the first time, I wish these WTO-UN dickheads would start acting their age and hang out someplace besides nightclubs. Hey... How you doing tonight, Jason? Yeah, me too. You know, 
Statistics show that 96% of guys spend at least 69% of their time thinking about how to meet hot women like me. According to your Google memberships log, you've recently deregistered from sexbook.com, hotcheapdates.net, and sexualhealing.or.jp, but you're still an active member of several dating and casual sex websites. I know the dating scene is a jungle, even when you've studied and upgraded to game 2.0. It's hard to keep abreast of all the breakthroughs. That's why I'm here now. Not just to let you look at a hot girl like me, but also to invite you personally, Jason, to come to the 10th Annual World PUA Convention, which is being held in Brisbane this August 10th through 15th. Wouldn't you like to have all the latest breakthroughs laid out for you? Looking forward to seeing you. This has been brought to you by Google Ads. Bookmark. Add to agenda. Background search. Plane tickets. We started out as far from idealists, of course, as my teacher Praxis said when he met me. Environmentalists? Ha. You know who gets laid less than a green radical? Nobody, I said, wishing I'd mentioned my day job as a lab tech instead of how I spent my weekends. It was true, though. Women had seen fit to chain themselves to trees beside me and join me in hijacking oil tankers on highways and march arm-in-arm with me in the streets of a dozen countries by my side. But I'd gotten precisely one girl out of a bra in all my life, and that had lasted just five weeks, 37 days to be precise, and that had been four years before. Exactly, Praxis said with a sneer. Nobody. But we're going to change all that. You're gonna, he said on day one. That was back in the days when fellows like Praxis were called MPUAs. Guys like him made a living running boot camps for AFCs, the average frustrated chumps. Guys who didn't know how to talk to women and were willing to spend a thousand bucks for a weekend of being coached on how to talk to women guys like me. Mostly they learned about being forced to go sarging, approaching thousands of women in a row until they stopped pissing themselves with fear and grew a backbone. And Praxis was right. During that weekend, he changed my life. Or, well, really, I did. He'd taken me and the other AFCs, a hardware engineer who called himself Axiomatic, a lonely high school teacher we dubbed Homework, a recently divorced cop called Slammer, and some Japanese poet or something, and baptized us by fire. We went out sarging all weekend, chatting up hot women in bars and bookstores and coffee shops, coming on to them and hassling them, teasing, rubbing shoulders, and even scoring some phone numbers. That weekend was the first time I ever wore leather. Tight leather. Peacocky leather. Praxis taught us routines, taught us cocky funny, taught us rules of thumb and dozens of techniques, and by the end of it, every one of us had learned the secret. 
There wasn't one. Getting a woman's phone number, or anything else for that matter, didn't require magic or an 11-inch cock or perfect white teeth. All it took was asking for it in the right way once she was ready to give it. Once you'd helped her become ready. Pretty soon we were having the time of our lives with the kind of babes who terrified us just months before. I was no longer Andrew Dalton. I'd become organic, and now I was swimming in women. Tall women, short women, dark and pale, funny and serious, wild and schoolmarmish alike. I tasted every flavor there was. I'd learned techniques for getting them to come home with me in less than 30 minutes of first contact, for engineering a threesome, for getting them to give me a sponge bath dressed in nurse uniforms while speaking in fake Polish. Look, everyone has his kinks, and whoever claims otherwise is lying. For the first time in my life, I was getting laid like a truckload of linoleum, and it was the part of me that was really, really enjoying all that sex that spoke first when Katana had laid out his plan. That was the part of me that had stopped caring about how many trees got cut down at Cleoquat Sound and didn't give a shit about the coral reefs and strip mining in the Northwest Territories. They say that a sense of impending death makes people have more sex. It's a mammalian instinct. Well, the first year the ice caps melted completely in the summer, I made that work for me and worked out my own mammalian panic all at once. From there, I hadn't looked back. Not once at the dying earth. Not till that day. And it hurt to look again at what I'd once cared about, which I think is why I yelped, That's fucking crazy, Katana. The tools we have, they're for pickup, for getting laid, not for saving the world. Yeah, man, Biosphere said, nodding his head. What do you want to do, seduce the sun and shining less brightly? Sarge Lumberjacks? Toss a few negs at megacorporations and hope they go sweet on us? Biosphere laughed at the absurdity of it. We all did. You're not listening, bros, Katana said, his hands parallel in front of him like some kind of loony Japanese evangelical minister. His eyes shone with this kind of insane holy fire light. You can't seduce the sun. You don't need to. The environment, the ecology, it's people. I've been reading Dawkins and Page. We all groaned. And there's something to this extended phenotype thing, Katana went on. The world is what we make it, what governments decide, how giant companies decide to behave. But governments and companies, what are they? People, Biosphere said. They're just people. And so they can be seduced. Wrong, said Katana flicking at the wall with his keychain remote. The smart wall flickered, and images from satellite flooded it at high speed, corporate logos and national flags flashing superimposed onto creeping desertifications, megastorms, and black smoke flashes of brief, vicious water wars. They're persons, legally and functionally. They're the ultimate amogs, and they can be amogged too. Someone who hadn't known us would have taken one look around the room at us in our freaky, peacocky clothing. Homeboy Ostasis's purple fur vest, my depilated scalp, Biosphere's animated magic eight-ball t-shirt cycling through its advice. No way. Yes way. Maybe. Go fuck yourself. 
and declared Katana's attempt to sway us a complete hopeless failure. Goes to show what total strangers know about anything. This advertisement has been approved by Google Ads for single male Google users like you. Ha ha ha. Terry, I bet you are tired of paying too much for your webborn. You're darn tootin' I am. I'm tired of spending a hundred bucks a month for crappy amateur porno videos. But is there a better way? There sure is. Haven't you heard about Porngregator? .co.ck is the newest best thing in XXX web content and at a low cost of only skip block I've already joined that site block request approved by Google Ads launching replacement ad hello there I know you're a lot like me a guy looking to get a leg up or, if you are lucky, maybe two legs up at once. Ha ha ha! You got game, of course, but everyone can use an edge. And that's why me and my team of organic chemists here at Naturalgasm Labs in Frankfurt have spent the last two years developing a foolproof body odor that goes on easy and keeps on working all night long. You see, women are attracted to men with a radically different immune system from their own. When a hot babe, 8 or 9 or 10, walks away from you, it's not your looks, it's not your clothes, it might not even be a flaw in your game. If your immune systems are too similar, she can't help it. There's no way for a woman to be attracted to a man with an immune system like her own. Until now, thanks to this handsome Shrine Kraus and 5,000 brothers we've cloned for him. Yeah, we have developed a body odor with a signature unlike any other human being. When they get a whiff of your scent, they'll go as wild for you as hogs do for slops. Good, yeah? Pause. Out of hell with it, bookmark. This has been brought to you by Google Ads. At first, we figured that swaying the head of a WTO-UN committee to see things your way might be a little different from scoring phone number off the hottest chick in a bar. But in the end, sarging is sarging. It's all the same. And all the skills are transferable. Peacocking, for example. As I walked up to Gilberto, the secretary to the head of the committee for a reduction reef fishery, I held my chest out, the way a quarterback stands when he walks past a street fight. I strutted slightly, comfortable in my skin, in this bar, comfortable around Gilberto. Clubs and clubbers didn't scare me anymore, despite all the years of nights that I spent wanking at home alone while Gilberto was dancing his ass off as he climbed the ranking ladder of the youngest WTO UN hierarchy pyramid ever. None of that mattered. I was confident. My suit was Libyan. Not that you'd ever know. Most people can't tell it from the Italian stuff. The difference, my friend, is price. The slight, 
untidiness of my hair was as carefully engineered as the piezoelectric bricking system under the floor that powered the lights and audio in that eco-club. When I spoke, my voice was a half-octave lower than it had been for most of my adult life. My smile was natural, of course. Practice anything in the mirror enough, and it becomes natural. And yeah, I'll admit, there was a gentle cloud of pseudo-pheromones surrounding me, telegraphing virility by advertising much higher levels of testosterone than any real healthy human male could possibly possess. Gilberto, I said with a serious professional smile, and then I noticed Bagheera. Fucking Bagheera. She was headed straight for us. A look in her eye that was straight out of a nature documentary. A panther about to sink her teeth into an antelope's neck. A beginner EPUA would have looked around frantically, breaking the spell I'd begun, even by then to cast over Gilberto. But my wingmen were well trained, and I let them do their jobs. Bagheera was closing fast as I shook Gilberto's hand, ignoring his who-the-fuck-are-you look. My grip was firm, but not much firmer than his, and shifted my posture slightly to match his own. Good work today, I said. We'd all seen it on the WTO-UN net feed. Gilberto slapping down a conservation measures offshoring initiative put forward by the G-14. Standard crap. Have someone else clean up their air and trade their measures for the right to keep shitting in the sky and ocean. After verbally bitch-slapping the American rep for 20 minutes straight, Gilberto had gotten a standing ovation and dared to go out in public the same night. I let my smile drop ever so slightly and then matched Gilberto's when he responded with a grin. My timing, of course, was perfect. I'd trained this particular skill for weeks. His response was immediate, a glow in his eyes and a sudden display of comfort. Next I spoke just a little too quietly. When he leaned forward, I knew I had him. Emogs don't lean forward. They say, pardon me, or say what. The other guy can repeat himself louder or reposition himself. But I stepped closer to him, setting my hand on his back in the way that buddies do, turning my back to Bagheera as she approached. That would buy a few seconds. I wish we had more guys like you in the trenches, I said. Yeah, that's right, my eyes said. I'm from upstairs. Suddenly my easy magnanimity held a different meaning for him. It flashed in Gilberto's eyes. Maybe, just maybe, I was the real alpha male of the group. Gilberto nodded happily, thanked me, and picked up his drink. He glanced into the glass as he sipped it, his body screaming a single message. Whoa, upstairs. That was when I caught sight of Antigen and his wing babe, Greenfire, leaning Bagheera across the room and away, cordial and professional as all get-out. Not for the first time, I thank God for Greenfire. She was an insider chick who'd ended up on our boards one night by chance after being seduced by Antigen. She decided she liked how we were working the WTOUN. The only rational approach to this bloody organization I've ever heard of was how she put it, according to Antigen, and teamed up with us. I turned to the African, and his name flashed across my specs. Echuo. Mr. Echuo, I said, shaking his hand firmly, my smile exuding confidence, and have we met before? We hadn't. I've never had any reason to talk to someone in human rights, but there was a faint glimmer of do I know you on his face. 
one confirmed by my Muggle Creative Commons software, and I wasn't about to help him out. The game was on, and I was well on my way to broing these fuckers. Soon, I'd be able to start working my real target. Everyone had to start somewhere, and I started with Hunter in a club called Il Baro Spaziarata in Sydney. I'd paid 1500 Canuck bucks to fly down there and another 1500 in Canadian, because Aussie money was crashing then, to do a boot camp with the best, because back then, that was what Hunter was, the best of the MPUAs. He was an MPUA 2.0, a master of the older pickup arts, a pioneer in the newer technology-fueled 2.0 subscene. I'll never forget the first time I went sarging for real, post-boot camp, the terminology roiling in my head, tumbling through my mind as I realized that all these words and concepts really referred to real-world things, to people. Sets, which meant groups of women, and mixed group of women and men together, had to be opened. DHV, I had to display high value. AMOG, the competitive males. Try, stupidly, the jealous girlfriend opener. Dodge the inevitable slap. This was 2016, after all, and it was beyond obsolete. Peacocking. Negs. I walked over to a triple set. HB 9.0 in a red cocktail dress. HB 2, punky in a plaid skirt and leather vest over her blouse. HB 7.0, white trash with a nose ring and an animated tramp stamp dancing on the small of her back. I followed the three-second rule, approaching the set immediately and engaging HB 7.0, who was not my target, as I worked the social game a little. I ignored HB 9.0 persistently. They smiled at me like a little boy who had picked and bottomed ditch flowers, and HB 2, punky, ruffled my hair with a smirk. Are you trying to pick one of us up, they said, glancing meaningfully at HB 9.0. They knew what I was doing, understood that the girl... I ignored was my target. They knew. I wasn't little, I was almost six feet tall, and if my body was a bit slim, I wasn't exactly skinny. I was dressed in a long black jacket and fake gem-encrusted shades. Later, I realized they looked like Elton John's, but that night, I thought I was peacocking, and I thought I'd look cool and had been on top of things. But they'd read me like a trashy sex blog. Do you want me to? I tried with my winning smile. When caught, play it cocky funny. Okay, I said to myself. And then it happened. I wondered, am I showing too much tooth? High school yearbook pictures flooded my mind. Happy birthday videos. Teenage rants on YouTube in 2008 that I made after my mother screwed up my hair and all the nasty comments about my teeth. Hours of sitting in a chair when I was 26 getting all that dental work done. Lasering him white. I wavered. It showed. My smile imploded, lips twisting together. Their eyes registered the change. I saw myself reflected in their bedroomy eyes, and between the long lashes and the lovely lids, what stared back at me was chump, 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 chump. They had six eyes between them, after all. H.B. Punky started laughing first, and then H.B. 9.0 spun on one stiletto heel, her arm around... HB 7.0's shoulder. Hunter was right there beside me and he said, Dude. 
That's like nothing, dude. They have issues. You connected at first. Totally. No big deal. Take it in stride. Just takes practice, bro. But all night long, I saw them glancing at me, grinning among themselves. When we took off for another club, one without them around, I noticed other girls looking at me the same way before I even talked to them. Failure. It was just like my life before boot camp. A series of failures of women laughing at me. It sucked. I sucked. Dude, I said to Hunter at the front door of the second club. I don't think there's much point, man. I just... And then he slapped me. He just fucking slapped me right across the face. Out of nowhere. And I fell on the ground. Right there on the sidewalk. I fell down. Not because he'd hit me so hard, but because I hadn't any idea it was coming. I was just so shocked. Surprised, huh? Hunter shouted. Didn't expect life to bitch slap you right in the face, huh? I sat up, hand on my cheek. Life didn't slap me, Hunter. You did. I could feel the burning handprint on my face. Shut up, he commanded. And listen. Then he reached down, grabbed my free hand, and helped me to my feet. Life is like that. Life will smack you at any moment. No warning, no announcement. That's how life works. It bitch slaps you with everything that matters. A chance at pussy, random senseless danger, a job opportunity you never knew you wanted, and finally it bitch slaps you with death. I stared at him with widened eyes in his purple leather Aussie cowboy hat. He was turning unprovoked assault into a life lesson a parable. And finally, I was starting to get it. When life bitch slaps you, he said, and I realized the muscles in his arms were tensing again, you need to be paying fucking attention. And then he threw his fist at me. My hand had come up without my thinking about it, but it was only when I looked that I realized I'd blocked his punch. My fingers were closed around his fist, and he was smiling like a maniac. Organic, he said, using the pseudonym I'd written on my Hello, My Name Is sticker back at boot camp orientation, and which had become my handle online of the PUA wiki boards. Buddy, you learn quick. You're one of us, just in larval form. He'll be rocking in no time, bro. It was a routine, straight out of some boot camp trainer guidebook. The routine was designed for the most promising recruit when his courage failed. Funny thing was, it turned out to be true. I was one of them. And a few months later, I'd become a real PUA. I'd gotten more numbers in three months than I had in all the years before. I'd slept with five different girls, two of them together. The techniques that the MPUAs had refined were stunningly powerful. They turned me from Geeko Ignominus to a Geek Adonis, or at least that's what I saw reflected in women's eyes. Now every PUA loses his powers occasionally. There was a night in Barcelona when every chick in the bar looked straight through me. Routines and moves that had worked in a thousand other bars all over the world failed me inexplicably that night. There was a night at Loco in Amsterdam when I found myself suddenly in my old rut, begging for approval from a trio of HB 9.5s to 10s. Suddenly, I was back to being that gawky, balding geek that everyone else had forgotten, and I got shot down so hard, I felt I'd never sarge again. 
But mostly, I was like wine or whiskey. I just got better and better with time. As I mastered the game, I diversified. I picked up chicks at political protests and municipal libraries. I got laid in the bathroom of a Starbucks in Cairo with an HB9 that I'd just met minutes before in line with just a few words of XNLP whispered into her ear. Blonde. I still remember the scent of her vegan backpacker shampoo. It was like I'd woken from a long, deep sleep into a world absolutely cramped with opportunities. Ice cream shops, public parks, blues concerts, pet stores, divorce lawyers' office waiting rooms. At a freaking dental clinic, my face still numb from the nerve block. It changed me. Well, of course it did. Power always changes people. It transformed my awareness of what human beings are. Because once you start sarging, you never lose sight of that. We're mammals. No matter how much fancy, clever neocortex you slather onto our brains, we're animals. Sure, we talk, we dance, we sing, and we build rockets and satellites and the internet, but we're still animals with animal instincts. Man, reading Darwin after you learn pickup is a totally different thing than reading it when you're an average frustrated chump. AFCs see evolution and sexual reproduction as a system they're excluded from, hopelessly. But PUAs, they're hackers working the system, kludging the code, DHV, manage expectations, isolate your target. It's a dance of evolution. It's not just a game, it's the game. The machinery of evolution in life. It's the reason we have these fancy neocortexes that let us talk and engineer airplanes and perform brain surgery. It's a minimalistic obstacle race with time, death, and destiny as moving goalposts. Smart people had been using game theory to discuss tons of stuff, including sexual reproduction itself, but they never dared to say what those first MPUAs discovered, that we humans, too, were locked into a game that few of us understood, a game that could be learned, that could be mastered and gained, not that sleeping with all those women ever filled the hole inside most of us, of course. And we found ourselves wondering what in the world could fill that hole. It turned out that Katana's breakdown was the cold front that set in motion the perfect storm. Guys who had learned to social engineer the way we had, who could sell ice to an Eskimo village, who could talk a nun out of all her habits. What could we do when we finally found ourselves an overriding purpose? We knew we could change the world, that if we decided to, we could do more than rock on the fiddle and screw ourselves silly as Mother Earth burned to cinders all around us. We could use pickup to save the Earth. And Bagheera and the other ecofems knew it too, and they weren't about to let it happen without a fight. Bro, bro, what do you know? Man, last night I was sergeant with my bros, and I was macking on this fine honey potty HB11 when wax mac. What's this? My headgear goes paylock on me. Now I know you all know what I'm talking about, and you know what I said. What? What good's it to me if Muggle and Winger and Tamgasm are all creative common software when the manufacturers, who shall remain nameless, yo, have locked your headgear tight tight as a Vietnamese schoolgirl's Yo, 
taint no good at all. That's why y'all need to join our revolution, yo. Chances are you got some bad hacking skills, because there's a lot of us PUAs that are hardcore nerds, but you ain't using those skills for good. Well, this is your chance to make a difference, bros. We want you to contribute code to a new open source, open source. Creative Commons OS for most headgear on the market. Stop. Block double length ads. Google Ads would like to apologize for the poor fit of advertisements for your interests. Google is listening and updating your ad response profile. Google would like to thank you for your understanding. Yeah, whatever. Broing is one of those concepts that never existed in Game 1.0, since that was all about picking up women. Things didn't change till it became just as important to be able to finesse relationships with men. There are seven steps to the algorithm that underlies the broing process, and they spell out a neat little acronym you can use as a mnemonic. B-A-S-T-A-R-D. As I broed Gilberto and Echuo, I worked through all seven steps. Be broable. That was easy, since I was already peacocked for the environment of my suit, with killer posture and my now-perfect teeth. And on top of that, my head was temporarily rewired by the dose of peacock, Creative Commons. My favorite PUA-designed de-inhibitant, Wonder Farm, pulsing through my veins. I was, for the moment, the kind of man that men wanted to have as a bro. I was broable. Next was assess networks and infiltrate. This was the thing I'd struggled with the hardest for some reason. I've never figured out if I have some vaguely sub-autism spectrum disorder or just an extra thick skull, but I'd always struggle to figure out group hierarchies. I was raised to consider people as equals, but the truth is humans aren't. They never are. Someone's always a little bit cooler or sexier or funnier than you are. And someone's always less than you are, too. There's always disparity. And once I'd realized that and started looking, there it was, everywhere. Sometimes it wasn't obvious, but you could always figure it out. In the group at the bar, Gilberto was the AMOG. Echuo, second, and Rasmussen was at the bottom. Even though Rasmussen was, technically speaking, more important than both of them put together. That didn't matter at the bar, Back in the jungle, this is the typical way 2M1F sets shape up. I'd already sussed out the triangle and docked with the AMOG Gilberto, so I moved on to step three, which is status is for sharing. Turning a fellow human being into an ally is a subtly different process from rendering a woman receptive to sexual advances. When you're sergeant women, you have to display high value in order to make her see you as worth pursuing, but also to dispel the feeling that you're pursuing them. That's even more the case with MM or desexualized MF interactions. In those cases, only total losers pursue. If you're DHVing to a Paul and he or she starts reacting like a Chiquita in a tube skirt, you're almost always talking to the wrong person. With my three set, DHVing was easy. Besides all the status I was exuding, thanks to the dose of Peacock, Creative Commons, I'd just taken, 
I knew Gilberto and Rasmussen's work on track record inside out. My more guys like you in the trenches line first set off that faint sense among them that I was someone, someone important enough that they had better not ask my name in case they were supposed to know already. Four to five times, that hesitation keeps the set guessing till the close. And this time it worked. Rasmussen was too busy trying to figure out why I was ignoring her, and Ichuo wasn't in his element. He took me for some kind of eco-pal. So Gilberto was my only risk factor, and he already warmed to me the second I touched his shoulder. So why do you think Chen and Silver are so against the reef treaty, I asked, forcing myself not to smile as Gilberto's eyes widened. Silver, what do you mean? He promised us a vote. I smiled, raised an eyebrow, and said, Publicly. Rasmussen leaned forward, about to ask me who the hell I was, but Gilberto was hooked, and it's a rare woman who'll cut off the current Amog when he has that look in his eyes. Gilberto leaned closer to me and shouted above the music, Is there something I should know? The others in the group leaned forward too, but I kept my back straight. Never lean in to be heard. The Amog always speaks louder instead. Recent meetings, Chan and Silver, talking, late at night. Gilberto's eyes widened and he pulled me aside as Rasmussen was distracted enough to forget the question of who I was working for and whipped out her Macberry to mob text her staffers. I watched her and Echuo out of the corner of my eye. The African just sipped his drink watching them respond to the sudden crisis as Gilberto asked me, Are you sure they're talking a pullout? We've been working on this reef treaty for over a year now and... Well, you know Silver, I said moving from step four, talk, shop, then stop, to step five, activate instincts. Gilberto and me, we weren't standing in a club drowning in lights, shouting to be heard over music, not anymore. Suddenly, we were standing on the savannah, stone tools in our hands, and I was pointing over the next hill at the place where the enemy lived, pointing at them, someone else whom I was framing as an enemy, which made us an us in a very caveman sense. Grunt, grunt. Usually, it wasn't quite that simple, of course, but Gilberto was an idealist, an uncommon disease in his eco-pal biz especially among the WTOUN crowd, the guys who weren't scared of getting rich while saving the world, those free of the suspicion that wealth quietly corrupted their successes somehow, went into internal corporate reform and green research, and they didn't hang out in places like this. I know, I've broed some of them too. Think cigars and cognac and strippers and conversations about design and alt-fuel so long as you can feel your hair turning gray. I saw it happening in Gilberto's head, gears turning, teeth locking and unlocking, and clank. Suddenly, I'm the bearer of bad news. I was the nettle that got under his jockstrap, the messenger he wants to kill, though he won't, because what if I am from upstairs? It's only natural, that negative reaction, his mental frame of reference was that he'd been working for a year on this fucking deal when suddenly I told him it's got the life expectancy of a beluga whale 
washed ten miles inland by a tsunami. His expression harshened, and he gripped my arm, a little burst of aggression bubbling over. What am I supposed to do now? he growled. It's too late, isn't it? Why are you only telling me this now? This is why step six, reframe the interaction, follows on the heels of step five. Because step five can so easily go wrong. Human instincts are like monkeys that have grown up trapped in little cages. When you wake them up and let them out, they turn highly unpredictable. Sometimes they slip on a tux and do a dance routine, and sometimes they sling their shit in your face. The cognitive dissonance was clear on Gilberto's face. My contact lenses, IPBR, confirmed it. Pulse, 93 BPM, body temp slightly elevated, respiration shallow. Not surprising. Alphas don't like surprises or being out of the loop. And he was used to being an alpha. When Gilberto got mad, he flung his shit and bashed heads with verbal rocks. He was the type to get his pick of mates and sleeping spots. But I was maybe from upstairs, so this was potentially dangerous. So he mapped PER, prior experiential references, onto me. Distant daddy issues, I guessed. So many of us ego-freak types, Pauls and otherwise, have daddy issues. Now the stage was set for me to steal the frame. I had to make him important, turn his feelings inside out, let him feel like it was me depending on him and me being hurt by his failure instead of the other way around. Rasmussen came in just in time. She'd finished texting and making her phone calls and suddenly hurried back over to us at exactly the moment when Gilberto was about to run Amog on me. Of course, her presence was probably part of what drove him to it. She came on tiptoes, straining to hear our voices. Perfect. Stealing a frame requires a shock to the system, just like when Hunter slapped me across the face. Nobody lets his or her frame get stolen without a sudden shock that destabilizes all those underlying assumptions. Of course, I couldn't slap Gilberto or Rasmussen. If I did that, I'd be fucked. It's okay, I told them. But you need to know that we're counting on you. We can't recover unless you pull through for us, I added, looking away from Gilberto and toward Rasmussen. She was going to save the day. She was the one we needed. Sigrid Rasmussen, you're my only hope. Gilberto registered, at least on some level, that he'd been amogged, but he was too stunned to process it quickly enough to properly challenge me. His own hesitation tripped him up, and I talked fast so that it would last. As long as he was listening, he'd be off balance, and if he was off balance for more than three seconds, he'd start thinking. And thinking is the bane of the would-be amog. I was ready for step seven. Deal with the target. When I noticed them, two young white women in business attire, one with her hair in a blunt cut, like millionaire soccer mom, and the other looking like a business exec with her hair in classy beads, neo-African style. They were only a few feet away and heading for us. I recognized them, of course. The blunt cut was Estraven, and her friend was Bamboo Grove. I felt a whiskey shot's worth of adrenaline dump into my bloodstream. Of course Bagheera wasn't alone, but if I'd known there'd be a full-on eco-fem incursion... I'd have come better armed.
Estravan was almost my girl, back when her name had been Monica Dietz. Coulda, woulda, shoulda, probably not, but I used to wonder how things would have gone if we had hooked up back then. The scene? A hippie apartment, stinking of patchouli and burnt sandalwood. One wall absolutely covered in books, and the floor was littered with dirty old beanbag chairs stuffed with hay instead of the usual comfy styropods. A faint scent of unmasked body odor hung in the air, the unmistakable sign of true believers. And then there was Monica, radiant before the pack in her Birkenstocks and Indian lehenga skirt, her hair hanging in narrow dreadlocks, and an earnest sloganed T stretched across her chest. Despite the nose rings, the sketchy teeth and hair, and all that windy rhetoric she was spouting, she was hot. The hottest girl in the place. Sitting on a beanbag chair in the back in my jeans and t-shirt, I dressed down for the occasion. I saw her through the eyes of the other guys in the room. Not that there were many guys there. 80% of the world's environmental activists are women, which was one of those little facts that had led Katana to his genius insight, even though we'd soon realize the searching activists was a dummy's game. In this particular room, there were only two other men, both too awkward and uptight to hook up with any serious woman, let alone an eco-femme. Guys like I had once been. They don't want us to think about the environment. They'd rather catch a profit for now and float off into space on the almighty dollar, she growled. Then she read us a poem she'd written, which I guess was supposed to be about what we should be thinking about. I'm pretty sure she thought it was a nature poem about fish and birds and elm trees going extinct on the day she got her first period. But as she read it, I looked around and realized that I was probably the only guy in the room, maybe the only person there, who understood what the poem was really about. She was dying for a man to come and lay her to not be some namby-pamby friend, to not woo her with his sensitivity and dedication to Gaia. She wanted a guy who would sniffle at her eco-feminist rhetoric and instead of mumbling along would kiss her on the mouth and fuck her up against the wall. She had itches that nobody had ever scratched. It was clear in her voice. And she kept glancing at me. Maybe she could smell it on me. The outsiderness? The lingering scent of Starbucks and unfair trade chocolate? This was only a few months after Katana had catapulted us through that quantum mental leap to Game 2.0. I was still more comfortable in nightclubs than eco-Marxist meetings and hippie lofts in North Vancouver. Not that I showed her how awkward I felt there. She'd have seen my confidence, the carefully rehearsed carefreeness of my gait, my smile, my eyes on her as she spoke. A few hours later, Monica and I were sitting on her balcony drinking some... Oh, fuck. I don't know what it was. Some kind of homemade apple wine or something. Pretty crappy stuff. But she was saying how it was totally sustainable. Zero footprint stuff. And I told her it wasn't bad. I touched her on the shoulder as I said, Really good, actually. Working a little old-fashioned NLP magic so she'd associate my touch with boosts in positivity and approval. Not that the NLP was totally conscious by then. It was more instinct. But she caught it. I saw a flicker in her eyes. 
vague suspicion that grew a little stronger with my every move. When we were chained to a tree and chanting a few days later, I rubbed my shoulder against hers. When I asked her about how she'd become an activist and read her eye movements, she looked down, then away, the clear sign of a kinesthetic mind. Monica was one of those rare people whose inner world wasn't visual or auditory. She made her way around, going on gut feelings and intuitions. Maybe that's how she figured out what I was up to. A week after our first chat, we were curled up on my couch, pulling back from a kiss to catch our breaths, when I felt her eyes look straight into me. That's not a romantic metaphor. She was seeing into me, seeing the real me inside. That's how it felt. Now, most women love that feeling, but it freaks out us PUAs. She must have seen that, too. She asked, how are you doing it? Welcome to the PUA's worst nightmare. If she knew already that I was gaming her, then how long would it be before she figured out everything? I backslid. Old, familiar, toxic shame and fear of an AFC, AFEC flooded on me. All my careful mental hacks, positive self-affirmations, Fallback routines, accumulated confidence and freedom to just be with her collapsed into terror and self-loathing. I took a breath and stared into her eyes and tried to think of what to say. Nothing. Something to say? Nothing. Mystery, I thought, with the one brain cell that had the game left in it. So instead of speaking, I touched her on the chin, and in that instant, her head tilted back, and all my doubts and uncertainties melted away. When my lips touched hers again, I felt my game surge back. In a little while, we'd be in my bed. I knew, candles burning all around us, her hemp skirt draped on the back of my chair, her belly under my palm, her dreadlocks all around her head like an angel's spiky halo. She'd give herself to me that night, I realized, and relief flooded me. Not anticipation, which was what I should have felt. Relief, because I thought I was in control. The outcome was secured. In the back of my mind, a little alarm went off. At the time, I thought it was because I was really falling for her. Like, seriously. There was a pang of guilt at the fact I'd met her in the process of sarging the eco-Marxist group she led. Now I think differently. The outcome is never, ever sure, and if you want it to be... You're bound to be fucking up your game somewhere. Some AFC shit getting in the way. But that night, I was hazy with endorphins and giddy with fear. And some dark corner of me was eager for a little self-sabotage. She sensed my hesitation, too. She was entranced, of course. And we did sleep together that night. But she felt that weird twist in my game. It woke her up when the sun rose and sent her searching for a reason to doubt me. She found plenty. When I woke, she wasn't beside me, but I heard the soft hum of my computer fan and the faint bleeping sound as she opened up page after page. The EPUA forums. Fuck. I rose silently, cringing. I left my computer on, logged on to the Game 2.0 discussion board, where my half-written report on sarging the North Vancouver eco-Marxist activism cooperative 
was in the draft's text box. Then came terror and my involuntary gasp and her turning with eyes so hateful I felt like my balls were about to wither and fall off. Hell hath no fury like an eco-feminist gamed. And now here she came. I'm love hawkin' 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 baby, the sexy voice proclaimed over the thumping beat. And I watched her approach, her stride confident. Challenge was issued by every step. Bring it on, growled the sway of her hips. Let's do this, her eyes telegraphed. She flashed her best, her dead meat asshole smile, narrowed her eyes, and then turned her gaze on Rasmussen. Estravan wasn't really Monica right now, just like I wasn't really Andrew Dalton when I was sergeant. I was organic, strong, powerful, the best bro a man could find, the most eligible man in sight, and I wasn't acting anymore. I was organic. And she became her role, too. Estravan had morphed into a thing of primal, visceral beauty, thinly veneered in a pantsuit and a business casual hairdo. Just highlights of blonde and the black suggested strands of purest sunlight lost in her hair. Footsteps so confident in those Donato Garibaldi pumps that you could imagine her walking a rope bridge in them. Most sane women give off at least a vague aura of self-containment. They're civilized. Until they're fucked with. They usually don't show their claws. But when I looked at Estravan, those diagrams of the human body mapped off the amount of brain devoted to them flashed through my mind. The ones with the human body, that's 90% eyes and thumbs. Well, Estravan was 90% claws and cunt. And she was entrancing. Despite myself, I found myself momentarily smitten. That moment was all it took. Not only did I falter, but I lost track of Bamboo Grove. Hoot hung back and was now gone, probably somewhere near, ready to swoop in if needed. Councillor Rasmussen, I said. This is, I said, dropping a half-beat into the introduction. My game was off. She jumped ahead of me, running an AMOG gambit on me. Monica Dietz, she said, extending her hand for a firm shake. First to Rasmussen, sisters first, and then to Echuo and Gilberto. As she shook his hand, she turned her wrist slightly so that her hand ended up on top of his cupped palm. In some dark corner of his mind, she'd begun writing a narrative, herself as the lovely maiden, her dainty knuckles waiting for his princely kiss. But before it became conscious, she withdrew her hand and shook mine. Plain old handshake. Andy, she said, of course, using the diminutive. Her tone was more dismissive than familiar. She was casting me as the wannabe knight, as if I was the unfavored competition, someone she'd dumped once long ago. Gilberto's eyes were on me. She held on, forcing the handshake at last, just a smidgen too long. Fuck, I thought loudly as I felt the wave of insecurity tremble through me. She's really good. People love to hear their own names, but hate to hear their own name while wearing another persona, especially abbreviated in the way that reminds them of negative experiences. Let's leave it at that. Nika, I said. That's what she'd always been called among the activists, and I hoped it might be a good returning shot. 
but it didn't work on her. Didn't phase her at all. She was expecting it. How have you been since... I paused, furrowing my brow ever so slightly, as if with sympathy. And in my contacts, I scanned the whole set's IPBRs. Nothing unusual, beyond Estrovan's seething subliminal hostility. Since last time. Oh, excellent, better than you can imagine, she beamed at me, overcompensating slightly. Nobody else was picking up this confrontational undercurrent. The audience was blind and deaf as we played out our drama. Wonderful. Say, I've heard you're also pushing hard on the reef deal. Work with me, I suggested with my eyes. Dr. Gilberto here's the person to talk to, I said. If you want to hear the scoop on China and Argentina. And to him, my smile said, don't thank me, bro. Isolate your target. It's not like she had any reason to focus on Rasmussen or to not talk to Gilberto. Gilberto caught it and smiled widely at her. He was married, supposedly faithfully, but who'd mind spending five minutes hashing out second-hand news with a woman who looked even half as hot as Estervan? Nobody. That's who. When I turned back, Bamboo Grove was shaking Rasmussen's hand. Crestfallen, I took it in with a brief glance and then looked back at Estervan and Gilberto. I felt eyes on me. A chuo. He grinned, and I realized suddenly that he knew. You ran into that sometimes, no matter how smooth your game was. Women who sensed you were a PUA, guys who were just more sensitive to social interactions than most men, or who had EPUA buddies and knew enough to catch on. He pointedly held my gaze before glancing over at the other two pairs. I think we're alone now, he sang softly not breaking his smile for an instant. He had, I noticed just then, absolutely perfect teeth. Looks like, I said, and furrowed my brow as he put his arm around my shoulder. It's cool. Let them play their move. You've already broed Hector, and Rasmussen's already on board. She is, I said. Ichuo nodded, sliding one arm around my back. Yep, and don't you dare take credit in your Sarge report, organic. He scolded me, eyes half-serious above that perfect-toothed smile. Now, who's she? He nodded at Estrovan. In real life, I mean, to you. Uh, an ex, kind of, I shrugged. She and I. No, man. By real life, I mean online. What's her ecofem name? He said it like it was an easy mistake and patted my shoulder. He radiated magnanimity the way a cup of hot chocolate radiates comfort on a winter night. Too much. Why the fuck was he growing me? Wait, what's your handle, I asked. The grin went sly, a bit sympathetic, with just a touch of AMOG, and he said, I'm in a slightly different network. Like rogue software, Game 2.0 had spread around the world, creating subcultures we'd never imagined. What had we created without even knowing it? An invite message popped up in my left contact. Some kind of social network site I'd never heard of before. Trust me, he said. You want in. I accepted it, and nothing happened. You need one more invite from an insider. Once you accept both, we'll be in touch. 
and the world will never be the same, he said and excused himself, leaving me standing there like I'd just met some kind of Greek god. Dias Machina, I thought, as he walked straight up to Greenfire, as if he knew her. Then he kissed her on the cheek and started talking to her, and I realized from her reaction that he did know her. Greenfire was one of them too? Whoever they were, she must have been watching us. Watching us for them? The reefs were going to be fine if Echua wasn't fucking with me. Estrevan was laughing, her hand on Gilberto's arm. Bamboo Grove was nodding earnestly as Rasmussen gestured around, as if complaining about the deafening music. I stepped up to the bar and ordered a glass of 30-year-old Langevulin, the same thing I always drank to celebrate a successful Hague Sarge. I ordered it in perfect Dutch, even though the bartender spoke fine English. That was how many times I'd done it. With my first sip, a sense of immense calm washed over me. Us Game 2.0ers had to feel like we were the only ones who were working the system for good. Bravado has kept us going, believing that only we stood between the biosphere and cash-crazed ruin. We, the brave, intrepid few who gave a shit about the environment, who saved the world by hacking the human mind. But that was a fairy tale, a lie we'd created to give ourselves the balls to try to do something. And here was a whole nother network we'd never heard of, using our hacks and techniques, fighting for the same thing. I was hit again by something I'd felt that first night home, after my first boot camp, that sense of relief. I am not the only one. We are not the only ones. Then I felt a hand on my shoulder. A voice whispered into my ear. Hello, Andrew. Monica, I said, not turning. My learned instinct was to let her come to me. After running that AMOG on me, I wasn't going to offer myself up for some emotional clawing. Anyway, I was above this. The Sarge had been run long before I'd shown up, and her attack on me had achieved nothing. I was above scrapping with Ecofems now. I'd been invited into a new, higher echelon. She slid in next to me and smiled, a faint patina of glitter makeup twinkling on her cheeks. She was stunning. Those stray dark locks on her forehead, her no-way-they're-real lashes the way one eye closed just a smidgen more than the other when she smiled, the tiny wrinkles on her lower eyelids. Careful organic, I reminded myself. We never did say goodbye properly. She set one hand on my shoulder, and taking my drink away with the other, she sipped it. She set it back down on the bar so that her arms ended up almost around my neck. Ever wonder why? she asked, eyes twinkling. Not really, I said, playing it cool. I'm beyond this now, chicky, I told myself. I probably never have to worry about you ecofems again. Some girls try to change guys, she said in a low, hard voice. Some girls pine over the guys who break their hearts. She ran her nails along the back of my neck. And some of them just wait for the guy to grow the hell up. Her smile was wry. My game was gone now. I stood there perplexed, her arms basically around me, and watched her watch me. I couldn't figure out exactly what kind of move this was. Some kind of 
elaborate deep structure AMOG, maybe a highly morphed variant of XNLP. I didn't know what she was doing, but one thing was for sure. She was hacking my mind, hardcore. I narrowed my gaze briefly and launched a few apps, which immediately burst active. The data slammed into my view in a cascading sequence of facklets. She was wearing contacts, of course. There was an IPBR output running on one lens, displaying my status. Besides the scotch, there was a biochemical trace on her breath that was a well-known common marker of having taken Peacock Creative Commons. Her heartbeat and respiration were slightly elevated, which in most women signals arousal or rage. Don't those guys usually outgrow them by then? I was as nonchalant as I could be against a slowly rising tide of vestigial AFEC paranoia. Think you've outgrown me? She said, one nail scratching my hairline. It felt good, especially with her eyes on mine, her voice echoing in my mind. I thought of her on my couch and remembered she'd done this then, too. Scratched one nail along my hairline. Fuck. She'd seduced me that night? We'll see, she said. I haven't given up on you yet, she said with a sharp little grin, and smoothed the back of my neck with one soft hand. Then she leaned into me and touched my chin, and I felt my eyes close reflexively. Then, nothing. When I opened my eyes, she was smiling at me, and Bagheera and Bamboo Grove were there too, by her side, eyeing me with amused smiles. There's hope for you yet, kiddo, Estraven said. See you around, if you've manned up enough. Then she threw me a look of pure seduction. On my left contact, a window popped up. It was the second invite, the one that followed up at Chuo's and it was signed, Love, Estraven. And then she was gone. I minimized the invite window. I was surrounded by suits, drinking and dancing. Once again alone. My wingmen were gone. My overpriced drink, a scotch older than I was, wasn't doing anything for me. And Estraven, which was what I had to call her since I couldn't call this glorious woman Monica, still was right there in my head. Was this some sort of counter game? Was I being mind-fucked? Maybe it was some kind of cognitive virus or something. But that feeling that Estravan gave off, that intense attraction, it felt real. Were she and I really on the same side? A red light went off in the upper left corner of my left contact. It was a call from Biosphere, probably a status update on Hunter. A patch of window opened up automatically, though the call wouldn't be opened till I approved it. Biosphere was looking sidelong, his expression bored, his peacocky shades perched on the top of his authority-evoking brush cut. And as good a wingman as he was, I wondered if he could have done any better than I had if Estravent had scratched the back of his neck. I thought then... And I know now, though that's another story, that he would have crumbled. She had game. Monster game. She was my equal. And that pulled some tiny, deep trigger somewhere in my mind. I felt something. I didn't know what at first. Because for me, 
That feeling was something I'd had to train myself to feel. I'd played so much fake it till you make it that I barely recognized the real thing. It was faith. Faith in myself. Faith in her. Faith that in this random world, in this senseless universe, despite my blunders and mistakes and successes, and despite all the chaos and cynicism that had soaked into everything and everyone, I'd found my way right where I needed to be. On the doorstep to the underworld where people really were saving the world from itself. And what I did next is why this will be my last posting on this board, guys. Because, yeah, it's been great, but I have better things to do. Yeah, I maximized the second invite message, took a deep breath, and accepted This posting narration has been visually animated using Adeptus Virtual Narrator software, licensed to the game 2.0 EPUA web board. For upgrades on your home narrator display system, just register Stop. with- Dude, I can't believe it. Organic's out? Man, it's the... the end of an era. Economy Comfort Coach Class Tickets for Brisbane, Australia found. Cost. $4,815 including all taxes and fees. Shall I reserve them? Hmm, I don't know. What if I've been wasting my life? I mean, sure, I did talk the local anarchist cooperative into supporting the local candidate for the Green Party, but for what? I mean, if I've left a trail of broken hearts and distrust along the way, is it really doing the world any good? What good are coral reefs? if we've all forgotten how to love one another. Maybe I'm crazy, but I... Maybe I need to... to think about things. Maybe I need to... Google Jet is offering you a 15% discount if you buy in the next 10 minutes. If you pay the full price, you'll get an extra 6 inches of legroom. Book it, Hal. Book it. Papa's upgrading his game. And, uh, thanks for the music. It was a nice touch. You're welcome, Jason. The end.